Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineWeb.com, your one-stop destination for all of the latest swine news, commentary, videos, events, and industry hot topics in animal health and feed. Log on to SwineWeb.com today. And Innovative Heating, the manufacturer of Hog Hearth, the most energy-efficient and only antimicrobial heat mat for the swine industry. Reduce maintenance costs and lower your electric bill today. For more information, visit hoghearth.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we are going to talk about impacts on food production in a world plagued by COVID-19. Joining me today is Mr. Kevin Ladwig, the current president of Johnsonville Ventures and MSAB Capital, the author of Fresh Sausage, and the past vice president of Johnsonville Sausage Company. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matthew. So before we kind of dive into today's topic, I'd really love to have you share a little bit about your background and how you um, are where you are today. Yeah, thanks for the question, Matthew. So here's my story. So I grew up on a small diversified farm in central uh, south central wisconsin and um, by today's standards it'd be considered more of a hobby farm is about 100 acres and uh, that's where i learned the uh, the trade of livestock production and crop production and that led me to a a start of my college career at university of wisconsin plateau where i started animal science and got to uh, experience um, kind of a different way of doing things at the university and Made some great friends there, and um, like a lot of students that go into animal science, you have aspirations of becoming a veterinarian at some point, which was the track I was on. And about my junior year, I realized that um, meat and, and food production seemed to be a bit more intriguing to me. I had a couple classes that year, and they perked my interest. And um, after my senior year in graduation, I continued my education at Iowa State in meat science. And that was also a great experience where I uh, really understood meat science and food science in a much deeper way, really um, came across some great lifelong friends at the university and a great staff there as well. And beyond Iowa State, that then took me to Johnsonville, where I've been uh, for the last 33 years. So I have four kids, Matthew, and I tell all of them that they probably will not spend one um, their entire career with one employer like I did. But Johnsville has been such a fantastic company for me, and the learning and the um, the rich culture it has here has been very, very, um, very enlightening for me, and a very uh, fine place to to grow my career. Um, for Johnsonville, when I landed in 1988, because I was a meat scientist, I kind of cut my teeth in the R&D area and food safety quality area, some of those more technically driven functions, and had some great experience there. The company was quite small, but growing very rapidly, so we had to put a lot of really good systems in place uh, back in the day. And I transitioned over to the operations side. I did some supply chain work with the company in the uh, the mid-90s, worked with our purchasing procurement teams. The company at that time was uh, probably about 500 million in sales and doing quite well. 
And the last uh, 10 or 15 years, I really spent doing more work in our strategy, sales, marketing, uh, M&A, and business development functions, which is really some great learning for me as well. So I had, had the good fortune of seeing the company kind of grow up. I've seen everything from the start of buying components, materials, meat and animals, all the way through uh, consumers and how consumers think about our products. So really rich learning. The last three years, I've moved away from the operating company, and now I'm working for our family office or our corporate venture fund, looking for interesting investments that help strengthen Johnsonville's operating company position. And that's been a lot of fun as well. So I'm using my science background for sure, but a lot of business development activities I've learned at Johnsonville as well are coming into play. So it's been a great ride for me at Johnsonville. Um, It's a tremendous company. I'd love to share more of that with you. I appreciate what you've shared thus far, and I'm very excited to learn a little bit more as we move forward. Uh, One of the things that I was very well aware of before I even came into contact with you was the Johnsonville way. Do you mind explaining a bit about what it means to do things the Johnsonville way? Yeah, the Johnsonville way is a is a credo, is a kind of a, a aspiration that we have and how we like to operate. That's probably the best way to describe it. It's really becoming the best version of yourself that you could become. And Johnsonville is a company that, uh, because they're family-owned and privately held, we can kind of do things a bit differently. And we put a lot of energy and a lot of resources into our membership. So we call our employees members, and we spend a lot of time uh, recruiting members, training members, developing members, um, because we think they're our most valuable asset. And I know that's an overused term and phrase, uh, but I think we do walk the talk at Johnsonville in terms of what we do. You know, our owner likes to say that a lot of companies out there that use their members and employees to build the company, we like to say that we have a company here to build our members or employees. It's almost like a mini university in some respects where the training and education and the opportunities that we provide people are quite unique and different. Um, I know when I started at Johnsville, um, my coach, um, we call bosses coaches. My coach asked me, you know, what I, what I wanted to do and if I had any other interest beyond what I was doing at that point in time, and I gave him a few ideas. And it wasn't long after that where I was actually working in that area, in that field, because the ability for us to pivot quickly and provide new experiences for our members is really mission critical. We think that's the best way to learn. And new experiences, new ways of doing things, you put people into new positions where they have to learn new things and new competencies is really enlightening. It's invigorating. And for people who have a passion and growing and learning, it really doesn't get much better than that. So that's kind of our culture. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a hard thing to grasp, but it's the way we operate. And end of the day, we want you to become the best version of yourself. And we do everything we can at the company to provide support systems, new experiences, uh, different ways of doing things or, or different, um, maybe different coaches along the way as well to give someone a very well-rounded experience. So really the sky's the limit. And as much as someone wants to learn and a passion to have a learning, we want to provide every possible avenue for that person to do that. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up as if it was like a university. Because when we were on the Johnsonville campus or our headquarters, is, depending on how you want to call it, it did have that feel of everybody was working as a team. It was very collaborative. And, and it's really fascinating that Johnsonville has been able to institute the values and, and these these thoughts that a lot of companies strive for but never actually achieve. And so that's 
very impressive. And yeah, since, I'd really tell you, Matthew. Since the time this you is, started uh, with, go ahead. I'm just going to say that it's it's really difficult to maintain kind of the Johnson Ware culture. I think culture is probably the most important thing that companies have. So, I think the company culture. I, I view culture as simply this: it's really the collective personality of everyone in the company that kind of makes up the culture. It's it, it's it's a unique thing, but it really is the personality that the company has. But it's really the collective behaviors of the people that are working within the company. And you mentioned collaboration, which is one of our key values that we have. So working together, uh, the phrase we like to use, work as a team, win as a team. Uh, so there's not any one person who rises above that. We're all in this together. And I think by having that kind of mindset or that bent, then I think you get the best of your people. And I think they see the value in working in that regard. Uh, we don't have superstars. We just have a lot of people who work really hard that are trying to move the company and their teams ahead. I like how you say uh, winning, uh, win as a team, because Johnsonville has done a lot of winning over the last uh, few decades, and uh, it's a lot of fun to win, right? And so what have you done to stay ahead of the competition or to have that slight edge over the last couple of decades? And, and how has that uh, gone in tandem with how the meat processing industry, the food industry has changed over the years? Yeah, great question. I, I would say it's never easy to uh, to win in our industry, especially for uh, you know a long period of time because there's so many really good competitors out there and other people who do things well that are trying to um, to knock you off or or take share or or do things that might interrupt your business. So it's really difficult. And I I would just say it starts at the top. Probably another term or phrase that we've all heard, but having leadership that um, has the ability to look longer term and maybe not uh, the next month or quarter or next year even. In some cases, it's a long-term planning, long-term vision. And I think being a privately held family-owned company, we have the luxury of being able to look longer term than perhaps other companies do. So a lot of the decisions we make have a tendency to have to play out over multiple years. We think it's the right thing to do and the right way to run the business. It may not help us short term, but will be in a better place down the road. So strong leadership, having the ability to probably have have teams and, and members in the company who've been here a long time, I think gives you some stability. And I think um, everyone who works in the company will tell you the trust you have among your teammates is mission critical. And if you have trust established and you get that by working together for a long period of time, then I think things become easier in terms of execution, which is really another key pillar, right? Really good leadership and really good execution is, is mission critical. Uh, if you don't have either one of those things, it really doesn't do you much good. So having people who want to work hard, who are dedicated to helping the company win, really goes a long way in having multiple years or even decades of success over the years. So, um, you know, obviously embedded in that, Matthew, would be things like the people we have, the products you make and the culture in which they work. All of those things are really important as well because if you have momentum as a company and you have a great product lineup and you have members who are really, um, they're in it for the long haul and they want to see their work kind of play out, um, that gives you longevity and that hopefully gives you a long winning streak. So it's been wonderful to be here the last you know 30 plus years to see that energy kind of play out in terms of the market share and how we've been able to win in the market. So 
it's certainly been a lot of fun. Before we kind of dive into the COVID-19 impact and uh, talk about what it looks like to succeed in, in your portion of the supply chain, you mind, I guess, for those that might be listening that don't have a huge grasp on uh, meat processing and uh, the food industry, talk about uh, briefly your role within the supply chain. What is Johnsonville's role within the supply chain? Yeah, so we at our heart are a, a meat company and more specifically a sausage company. We do have a few other product lines, but it's primarily sausage. And most of our business is in the, the retail trade. That's our, that's our primary channel of business. So that's the traditional grocery stores, and I think you all know them. We also have a smaller food service division, and we have a pretty robust international group as well. We're in about 40 countries, so that's kind of our, our footprint. You know, the supply chain that we have really starts with, uh, in a lot of our business, in procuring um, animals. So we don't own farms. We don't own animals. We process um, sows. That's the largest. Uh, we are the largest harvester of sows in the, in the uh, North American uh, footprint. And we, we buy from um, our suppliers that we've had for many, many years. We process the animals, we make um, meat, and we make it in a unique fashion, and then that meat is applied to our product lineup. Um, we spend a lot of time on the science. We spend a lot of time on the animal quality. Um, back to making really good products that people want to buy over and over again, you have to really, you have to really know the science well. And that's kind of where my training kind of paid off. So understanding meat science well, understanding your supply chain understanding feedstuffs that perhaps are fed the animals and how that impacts muscle quality, meat quality is really important. How you do basic things like grinding, blending, eventually making sausage goes a long way in terms of the quality that you want to build into your products. So we spend a tremendous amount of time in our supply chain on procuring the right kind of materials, having a robust process to be able to take those raw materials and bring them together in a certain way that gives you the type of quality you want in a very reproducible fashion. So it's a bit like, you know, making a batch of chocolate chip cookies in your kitchen. You have ingredients, you put those ingredients in um, a batch in a certain fashion, a certain order. You have a process of baking, and then you have a process of probably eating or storing the product. The same holds true with, with making any type of uh, other perishable product. There's raw materials, there's a process you have to use that that really, in a large way, will lead to the product that you're going to get out the back end and making sure that whatever brand or whatever you want to stand for as a company is represented in those two things. High-quality materials, a very robust process you go through leads to a very predictable product. So from a Johnson standpoint, we we tend to focus on those things a lot. Of course, distribution of our finished products to our retail um, customers is mission critical as well to make sure that it's getting there in, in good condition under um, HACCP programs and food safety programs are, are very, very critical as well. And, you know, another, another tagline from our owner that he likes to say is, you know, if we're going to err making sausage, let's err on the side of making exceptional sausage. So, if we're going to miss, we're going to miss on the high end. We want to miss in terms of making product that people love, they enjoy, they want to eat. And for us, oftentimes, our brand and our products take 
take consumers back to maybe a event. Maybe it's a backyard barbecue. Maybe it's the 4th of July or Memorial Day because our products are so unique and oftentimes consumed at certain events, which are very memorable. Um, there's an emotional attachment as well. So um, if you can, as a brand, have an exceptional product with a very emotional attachment to that product and have a very robust process of making that product, it really puts you in a pretty good spot. And I know that, uh, that COVID has had an impact, uh, an effect on the meat industry and, and on the food, food market. And I, I know for me, I'm eating out a heck of a lot less. And so, uh, I have been eating a, a lot of those, uh, those jalapeno Johnsonville sausages and, and, uh, you know, a lot more processed meats at home. What, what has the impact been, uh, on Johnsonville and, um, how has the, the, the Johnsonville way and changes in demand supply buyers purchasing patterns? I mean, wh what are all the changes you're seeing, seeing from this and how are you addressing them? Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, people are eating out a lot less, you know, up to this point, half of meals were consumed outside the household and that number has been growing. So restaurants and hotels or stadiums or ballparks, wherever you might find food beyond the traditional grocer, uh, that, that percent of our eating um, time or eating uh, meals has, has really gone up in the last number of uh, decades. So now to the point where it's 50%, well, now half of that is gone, right? So that portion of our, our consumption now is gone, which has pushed everything towards the traditional grocer. So as you might expect, um, there's been a huge uplift and a huge surge in demand for products at grocery. And because most of our business today is through that traditional retail grocery, we've had a huge tailwind the last number of weeks. So you'd never like to see your business do well because of the situation the country and the world is going through. But it has been um, a large, uh, really, updraft of our business. Uh, and I think that's true for most meat in general. So we're having to work really hard in order to uh, to fulfill orders. Uh, one of the things that we take a lot of pride in here at Johnsville is something we call HICS, which stands for Highest Impact on Customer Success, H-I-C-S. And we spend a lot of time with our customers making sure they can be successful. Well, today that means making sure they get the product that they're ordering. And we've been spending a lot of time, a lot of overtime, a lot of extra time making product because uh, our customers want them because their consumers want them because of the pandemic, because COVID-19 is, is really uh, doing a lot, of, um, a lot of damage to the restaurant business. So everyone is purchasing product at stores. There's been a huge demand. Now, I would tell you the last few weeks that demand has settled in a little bit more towards a normal curve. I think people have enough reserves probably in their home, in their refrigerator or freezer, where perhaps they're, they're good for the time being. We'll find out the next few months how this is going to play out because this could certainly lead to some longer-term trends in terms of eating behaviors that perhaps are going to be pretty sticky where they, they may not change, right? So maybe cooking skills will have to improve, or maybe people will find um, renewed interest in cooking because of this, this latest event in our, our pandemic. Um, as restaurants begin to open up down the road, uh, will consumers go back to restaurants like they had before? And, I, you know, I should say, too, restaurants come in different shapes and sizes, right? So the, the quick-serve restaurants out there 
are doing better certainly than a sit-down restaurant because they have drive-through, they have ways to kind of manage through that. Even though sit-down restaurants are pivoting quickly to go to takeout, uh, a lot of them were not very well prepared to handle that or do that. So there's certainly going to be a, a large divot in that area in terms of sit-down uh, restaurants, white tablecloth restaurants. But I think a lot of these trends that we're seeing now, uh, Matthew, could certainly stick. And we could certainly see some long-term trends where perhaps more and more of the food purchasing will happen now at grocery, like it used to decades ago. And perhaps some may not go back to the number or frequency of eating out experiences that they had before. So from, from that, I guess, perspective, uh, what, what are, what's being done at, at Johnsonville to try to limit the spread as much as possible? And um, how, how, do you, how do you think that's, that's working? Yeah, we're taking a holistic approach when it comes to, uh, to managing the entire company, including our, our membership in terms of how we're managing and, and trying to continue to make as, as much product as our customers are asking for. And I think, you know, the, the first thing that I would, I would say that, that we have found to be quite effective is you can't over-communicate with your membership during these situations. One of the things that I used to do at Johnsonville um, is, is run our crisis management team. Uh, so anytime a crisis came up, and it come in all shapes and sizes as well, is it, prevented, it presented a unique opportunity for you to kind of learn some things. We always err on the side of over-communicating. You cannot communicate enough with your membership, with your stakeholders during a situation like this with the crises. And, and let me give you a couple examples. You know, communication comes in, in different, uh, different styles as well. There, there's kind of the traditional sense, which is I'm going to present or communicate to someone or an audience or a membership in this case. And that, that's okay. That, that works well. It's a really good first step to communicate, but you have to allow your members or your stakeholders to really engage and ask questions, understand what this means to them. And I call the next phase beyond awareness is understanding. They kind of understand what we're going through and what everyone's going through and kind of what the ask is. And if you do that well and keep communication lines open and continue to share information about how things are going, uh, what our customers are asking for, what the uh, the local health authorities are saying, you bring everything together and you begin talking more and more about not just awareness, not just understanding, but also a level of belief and that they believe in what we're doing as a company and that it's the right thing to do and that we're all in this together. And if you keep telling that story and keep sharing the facts and engaging members, uh, you eventually get to the last point, which is a commitment, which means everyone's in this together. We're all committed. We all have the same end in mind, and we're going to work our tails off to get that done. And I think too many times companies might stop at that first phase of simply presenting information to gain awareness without going through the harder steps of getting understanding, getting belief, and eventually getting commitment. So the first thing that we always do in situations like this is work really hard on communication because you can't do too much of it. And along the way, you have to respect your members or your, your employees. You have, to, you have to show them respect. You have to be there for them, and you have to thank them. Because quite honestly, 
the people that are keeping the food on the table today are people in our facilities, not just Johnsonville. This is an industry-wide thing. People in our facilities who are making product every single day are really the heroes uh, in this story because they are the ones who come to work. Their work hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten more intense. There's certainly individual concerns about can I catch something? Can I get the coronavirus when I'm at work? So a lot of steps have to be taken about not just traditional hand washing and sanitation, but also how you um, offer breaks, how you uh, manage a cafeteria or your break rooms, how you have uh, additional hand wash stations, how you have a six-foot space or distance between members. All of these things that you've heard about come into play within a facility as well. So the management or leadership of a company, Matthew, has to really go the extra mile to say that uh, we're doing everything that we know possible to make sure that we're going to keep you safe and healthy. We're doing everything uh, we can right now in terms of keeping our customers satisfied and keeping them um, up to uh, up to date with product. And we're going to keep as much communication as we can flowing to you so you know exactly where we stand. And then letting you know what the next few days or week is going to bring. So always staying on top of your game as far as communication, making sure people understand uh, where you're going as a company, what's important, doing all the things from a personnel standpoint or membership standpoint to make sure that they can stay safe and then they don't know that you're looking out for them. And then it's a constant communication flow back and forth to make sure people have the information that they need or desire. And we found these kind of steps really go a long way in letting people know that they're valued. Um, they're a, a member, a strong member of our company, and we value them. We want to thank them. And uh, in many cases across the company, we've, we've given premiums. We're having to call it pandemic pay. These are premiums that we're paying people uh, over and above. Oftentimes, there's extra bonuses added as well. So there's a financial component of this as well. But I would tell you, you can't just dole out money. You have to make sure that people understand you're doing everything possible um, on the personal side because I think that, quite honestly, goes much, much further than either financial um, compensation or other things you can do for members. Yeah, recently, Mark Cuban even pushed out a quote saying that uh, companies a decade from now are going to be remembered for how they addressed and handled this uh, situation. It sounds like you guys are doing an incredible job. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask is uh, like a, a golden nugget that you might have for the meat processing or industry or pork producers or consumers um, moving forward. Uh, what a bit of advice, even, even though you've offered quite a bit throughout the talk today. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, back to what you might do in your company, I think, again, back to the points I mentioned, which is communication, which is kind of painting this picture of where the company is going and, and why it's important for us to, to feed America and be there. Um, those kind of things, I think, go a long way. It can't just be, you know, hopefully uh, that your leadership is not just visible during a crisis. They're visible all the time because it looks a bit like it's uh, staged or phony if you happen to do it just when there's a need to do it. It's got to be a constant uh, beat of the drum. You know, I would just say for pork producers out there, you know, I, I, w I would never bet against the uh, – 
the U.S. pork producer. They've, they've been through so many issues and challenges and crises over the years. They always seem to find a way to bounce back. They're a resilient bunch. Um, I would say the meat processing business is very much like that as well. Um, we have been through crises after crises. So if there's any segment of the industry in this country that can withstand kind of what we're going through right now, I think it's the, uh, the producers and it's certainly the, uh, the food industry as well because we've been through so much. And I like to say we're, we're combat ready. We're, we've been through it. Uh, we've been hardened by it. This is not you know, the first time we've seen something like this. And I think uh, with with a lot of effort and with a lot of uh, probably ingenuity and innovation, uh, I think we'll get through this. And I think oftentimes these situations make companies stronger. And, and maybe the last thing I can offer up is make sure you're taking notes along the way because go back to these notes. You'll certainly learn some things about your company, some things that you want to change, you'll want to adjust, you want to modify. Make sure you take this 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 situation, this crisis we're in right now, and use it as an opportunity to better your company. Um, take good notes. Go back through when when the dust has settled. Make sure you go back and install, and implement some changes to your business that'll strengthen it based on what you experienced this time around. I I couldn't say it any better, and uh, nor have I heard it much better than that. When you look at what we're going through, there are so many opportunities that are coming from this and how we can all improve and be better moving forward. Uh, coming out of this, we should be a giant leap ahead of where we were. Uh, we just have to band together and, and, and fight through this together. Um, I, I do want to thank you for having you on the Popular Pig Podcast. It has been a real pleasure. I thank you for taking the time to share your story and, and expertise with us. Matthew, I appreciate the opportunity and the invite to be here and, uh, you know, better days ahead. So it's, as I like to say, onward and upward. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.